Welcome to Sounds Erotic, the voices of erotica. Allow me to tell you a little about the show. Sounds Erotic is a weekly podcast that introduces you to the most unique, interesting, and successful people in erotica. We will explore topics that you might never have considered and introduce you to forms of erotica that pique more than just your interest. Leading you on this journey will be me. Who am I? My name is Alex Anders, and as an erotica author, I have published more than 40 titles. My stories have been translated into German, Spanish, French, and you can find a lot of them as audiobooks narrated by yours truly. I have always been drawn to all forms of sex, so I have written stories for both men and women, whether you are straight, gay, or bi. All of my stories can be found at alexandersbooks.com, and I look forward to you checking it out. But that's enough about me. More importantly, I am very pleased to have as my guest today, fan fiction writer extraordinaire Xanthi. For the past 14 years, she's been writing fan fiction and fandom starting from The West Wing to NCIS, even Doctor Who, which is one of my favorites. And she has won multiple awards for her writing, including the Jeds, the McShep, the Tear Room Awards. And I'm very pleased to have as my guest today, Xanthi. Welcome, Xanthi. Hello. Thank you. I'm very delighted to be your guest today. And I have to say that you are a woman that writes BDSM gay male fiction. So many topics, I don't even know where to begin. I know. (laughs) But I have to ask the first obvious question, which is, what do you like most about sex? (laughs) Um, Do you mean what? I'm going to interpret that as, what do I like most about writing sex? (laughs) Any way you'd like to interpret that. Um, Oh, um, I think for me, it's the emotional connection, first and foremost. I love exploring emotional connections and relationships between men that is my my main love I suppose when I'm writing um, I love taking what I see on the TV screens because most of my writing so far has been fan fiction and building something from it exploring a bond I see there um, and finally getting them into bed then <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking about the kind of sex that they'll have when they're in bed but for me the, the sex isn't very meaningful unless I've created an emotional context for it first Um, and that's what I enjoy doing that's what I enjoy writing about sex creating that emotional context and then having it fulfilled via sex very nice so let's learn a little bit about you where are you from I'm from London in England in the UK as you can probably tell from my accent (laughs) Um, I've lived pretty much all my life in London except for a few years when I was at university so I'm a Londoner born and bred and what did your parents do Oh, well, they run their own business, actually, and it's a business that I've inherited and which I run now, (laughs) which gives me some free time to um, write, although sometimes it's also incredibly busy. And I think that shows a little bit in my output. Sometimes I'll have long periods of time when I can produce lots of stories and other times I'm just absolutely snowed under at work and there's too much responsibility. But I think part for me, the fact that I run a business and I've got, you know, quite a lot of responsibilities and employees and so forth. That's why writing is my escape, and especially this kind of writing. I mean, I was never going to write anything um, perhaps of a more kind of highbrow nature, perhaps we should say. I don't know quite know how to describe that. But I was always, I think for me, it's the, the escapist part of my writing is what I need in order to get away from sometimes quite a high-pressure job and quite a lot of responsibility. When you were a kid, did you love television? Yes, I did. I adored TV. Um, I think that I was slightly unusual in that. Other people liked TV, but I loved TV. 
But I only loved certain things on TV. I wasn't the kind of kid who just sit and watch anything, and I'm still not. I never have the TV just on. I like certain things, and mainly what I like, apart from historical documentaries, the main thing I like is dramas. And I like meaty storylines and characterizations. And I always did as a child, and I still do now. And I think that's part of where my fanfic obsession comes in and it really suits me very well it was when I found fanfic it was a bit like coming home I was sort of like yes it's being able to creatively interact with the source material that I love so it's great (laughs) and I know when I was growing up I was also a lover of television I used to joke never say anything bad about television television raised me yes (laughs) (laughs) yes television is fantastic (laughs) (laughs) but I never really read books as a kid were you the type to watch tv and read books or yes i did read a lot of books i thought i read far more as a kid than i do now i'm afraid to say i feel sad to say actually because i feel i should make more of an effort but yes i read books as a child and in fact i very vividly remember reading a set of star trek novels that were kind of just dramatizations of the actual episodes that had gone out that somebody had written i can't remember who it was they were quite famous i remember being in absolute heaven reading those one summer and feeling like this was the best of both worlds because it was about star trek which i loved on tv and it was books so <laughs> i was very happy but yes i I did read a quite lot as a child and I don't read very much now partly I think because I read such a lot online and on my computer I tend to read fewer actual novels but now that we've got ebooks it all seems a lot more accessible to me I don't know why it didn't before but it seems I, I do tend to read a little bit more than I was is it always science fiction no it isn't. Um, I like all sorts of things, actually. But science fiction and fantasy have always been my first loves, yes. But I do actually read a lot of things. What I don't tend to read is the modern novel, which I've never understood, and it doesn't grab me, and doesn't seem to involve having a story. And for me, reading stories is the most important thing. Having a strong narrative, a storyline, characters. So that's, for me, the most important thing when I'm reading. But your favourite genre would be? Well, it would be sci-fi and fantasy. But I still I quite like a, a mystery novel. And I have to say, I have also a weakness. As I have a weakness for historical documentaries on TV, I absolutely love non-fiction history books, which I read all the time as well. And sometimes, you know, fictionalized history, but mainly just history books. Now, I have to ask you this, because I write gay male erotica, but I'm bi. So that makes sense. I, you know, I can write anything, and that's one of the things I choose to write. So I have to ask you, growing up, who was the most influential gay person in your life? I honestly don't remember any gay people in my life when I was growing up. No, I think it was a slightly different world. And it was only when I when I went to university, actually, that being gay was very much more prominent and people talked about being gay. Before then, it always been not something that was really talked about, certainly not in the circles that I moved in. And um I don't really remember. I remember there were camp stereotypes on TV who didn't resonate with me. Um, On our TV, that would have been people like John Inman, who was um, in a show called Are You Being Served? And those kind of camp stereotypes were quite prevalent, but they didn't really resonate with me, except, I mean, I liked them well enough, uh, didn't have a problem with it, but they didn't really sort of resonate with me. What I tended to be drawn to was deep friendships between men that I saw on TV that I didn't realise at the time. I think I always wanted to go further or be deeper than was actually portrayed. What was it about their connection that drew you to them? I think the thing with a lot of TV shows is that certainly in the past, before before they became self-aware about slash and, and gay topics, a lot of TV shows in the past, when they depict very strong relationships between men and often have them actually being the most important person in the other one's life and risking their lives for each other and cradling the other when they were ill and so forth and all entirely meant in a buddy context as being meaning no more meaningful than that 
And those interpretations were were the ones that resonated with me and the ones that I was interested in. And that felt a bit like TV having its cake and eating it in a way, because it was like it was giving us these what were really quite homoerotic relationships, while at the same time saying, oh, no, these men aren't gay at all. Hmm. I think that still goes on, frankly. I find that extremely interesting because I've never known what's behind the fascination. Do you think this is what a lot of women love in gay male writing? Yes, absolutely. When you say you don't understand what's behind the fascination, is that of, say, straight women writing about men having sex or? Yes. Okay, because I must admit, I was a bit surprised when I first started out writing. I know my audience back to front now, and the vast majority are straight women. (laughs) And they love reading about two guys. And I don't think it's really that much different to a lot of men fantasizing about enjoying the idea of two women together. That is a large part of it. I think it's just that because it's not been spoken so much in the mainstream the way it is about men and the idea of two girls together, because it hasn't had that, people are somehow shocked by it. And yet so many women enjoy Slash. It's not a strange thing. It seems to be quite prevalent i you know it's over the years i've come to realize that it's a very popular genre and lots of straight women just love it so i think it's probably always been there but now i think it's starting to come out much more it's very interesting because i i started out writing a non-erotic fiction and then i decided to make the switch to erotica and i decided well i should probably write gay male fiction just because i would feel a little more comfortable starting out with that than straight writing And it turned out that 50% of my readers are women. Actually, more than 50% of my readers are women. I can totally believe that, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds as if you're surprised by it, but I'm not. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. When you look at the statistics, and this is kind of a sad statistic, but the truth is that gay males growing up are actually fine. But bisexual males and bisexual women growing up have a higher tendency to do bad things to themselves because they believe that they will never be able to find someone out there that will accept them for who they are. So having grown up with that idea mentality, not because someone told me, just because that's what you believe. You just can't believe that there are women out there that could accept the idea of you having once been with a guy. It was just shocking to me to find out just how prevalent this is in the straight female community, how accepted this is. And I think actually that's one of the great things that this the internet age and ebooks and publishing our romantic and erotic fantasies has brought us is the understanding that we're not all that different to a lot of other people out there and that there are people who are understanding accepting share the same fantasies for me in a similar way i have fantasies of spanking spanking fantasies um since i was a child and that was always my dark secret my fantasizing about bdsm And I didn't think there was anyone else out there quite like me. And I thought that I must be very deviant and kinky um, to have those ideas in my head. And yet when I started rather tentatively putting out my spanking stories online, I was amazed by how popular they were. I actually contributed to a particular site that was called Mulder Torture. This was in my X-Files days. And people liked writing about poor Mulder getting hurt in a variety of different ways. And there was an archive for it, which when I found, I thought, oh, this is like I've come home. This is wonderful. (laughs) And, uh, And so I contributed a few spanking stories to the site. 
And the site archivist actually contacted me at one point and said, well, we'd like to create a special section for the spanking stories because they proved to be the most popular stories on the site. Not just mine or any stories that were spanking, um, spanking Mulder, basically. Everyone loved spanking Mulder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that surprised me enormously. And I soon found out that when I had a website of my own, which I started very early on in my fanfic career, that the stories that involved spanking or BDSM got more hits than the ones that didn't. And that surprised me as well. I'm not entirely sure they got as much feedback because I think that a lot of the people who enjoyed that kind of thing were too scared to say so. So it was a bit of a silent readership for a while. Now I'm noticing that's changed quite a lot and people are more, more happy to admit that they like it. Would you like to read some erotica with a little spanking? Then check out my short stories, Spanking Her Curves 1 and 2, in ebook and audiobook read by me. Available on Amazon, iTunes, and wherever books are sold. Enjoy them today. Well, before we get into BDSM, let me ask you, what exactly is it? <laughs> You've always, you know, I've grown up hearing the term BDSM, and you just imagine someone in leather with a whip, and that's what you think it is. Mm. But what is it actually? Okay, I think that the acronym itself is a bit confusing for people because certainly in the UK, we use the term S&M to mean that kind of thing, that kind of fetish. Um, and yet online, and I gather probably more in the US, it's BDSM is used. I think BDSM is starting to be a bit more used in the UK as well. But the acronym obviously is a combination of things such as bondage, discipline, domination and submission and sadism and masochism. And it can cover all of those or only one of those aspects. I suppose there are differentiations. There is so much. There's, in fact, it's a huge, it's a broad range of things. It can be so many different things to different people. Some people, it would just mean that they enjoy a bit of light spanking. And for others, it will mean really hardcore, like you were saying, dressing in leather, wielding a whip, having people who identify as your slaves. So that's quite a wide range. The other thing is that it can just be an attitude of mind. It can be there is a subsection of it called DS, dominant submissive, whereby it could mean that all you're doing is having regular sex, but one of you will be dominant and will be giving the other orders or telling them they have to obey. The actual sex act may just be sex, but it will come accompanied by a power player exchange of power and um, not involve anything scary or any whips or toys or anything else. So it's just a very, very huge range of things that it covers. How does it differ from rough sex? I think they're two very different things. I mean, BDSM may well not be remotely rough. In fact, more often the way I write it, it's quite planned and, and sensual. I think BDSM can also be far more about the mental process of dominance and submission, about introducing language and situations to the sex that excites the other person, rather than rough sex, which is more action-oriented. I mean, you can have rough sex without that being BDSM at all. Rough sex can be about passion, it can be about anger, um, and be about those kind of extreme emotions or just an enjoyment of having it sort of raw and powerful. Um, whereas I think BDSM is, it can be that, but more often than not, you're likely to play a scene perhaps with a partner, with a willing partner, where you talk beforehand about the range of things that the scene might cover, the things that you want to do, the things that they feel comfortable doing, and you might agree what your play session will cover. There may not be any actual sex involved at all. It may just be spanking or some other form of activity, um, or it may be full-blown sex with all the works. Does all rough sex count as BDSM? No, I don't think it does at all. I think rough sex doesn't have to be BDSM at all, actually. I think lots of people can have 
and enjoy rough sex without feeling that they're doing anything that's remotely BDSM. I think BDSM can encompass rough sex, but I don't think rough sex often by itself constitutes BDSM. So is it a psychological thing? Is there a, a mental difference between the two? I think BDSM, you can. I mean, for example, one aspect of BDSM might be a certain element of role play where one of the partners, one of the people playing might both of them might create a scenario that they're playing. For example, it might be a master who's bought a slave at an auction and the slave is a virgin and he brings the slave home and he uses him sexually. And now that's something that was agreed by both participants that they want to role play that for their sex session. So that would be quite planned. Or it might just be that a dom has spent some time thinking up all the different things they'd like to do to their submissive. And the submissive just enjoys laying back and taking all those variety of things. That can be very sensual. It doesn't have to be rough. It can be just exquisitely slow and enjoyable. So I don't think, I don't think the two are at all the same. And what do you think is the pleasure of BDSM? I think different people get different things from it. Even within the BDSM community, there's a very wide variety of experiences. Some people identify, for example, as what they would call themselves pain sluts. I'm not really very into such terms, generally speaking, but there will be some people who identify with pain play. They like and enjoy pain play. But there'll be others who are not into pain at all, but they love bondage. I used to know a man who absolutely loved Japanese rope bondage and would enjoy tying up a girl, spending ages tying her up in exquisitely intricate knots. And that was it. I mean, you know, that was she enjoyed being tied up and he enjoyed tying her up. There wasn't anything else beyond that. And so the enjoyment that you can get varies very much depending on what aspect of BDSM you're particularly drawn to. Some people like it all. Some people only like one thing. Some people only like spanking, which is a subgenre of its own. In my case, I think I'm particularly drawn to dominant submissive power play. I find that more erotic and more interesting than anything physical that's going on. The physical plays into that and is part of it. But the dominance and submission are what I find really sexy. Why do you think that is? Well, it's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I really don't know. I just find that aspect of the idea that someone gives up their power and control to someone else, that they trust them, that they give that up to them and take whatever that person wants to do. I think that's really sexy. And the idea that someone will do that that someone will do that for you if you're the dominant, that, that you can take them to that place where they can just relax and you are doing things to them and they, they have given you that power and control over them and, uh, and they put themselves in your hands. It's very sexy. When did you first realize that you had that particular fetish? It's interesting because I've talked about this to some other people and I don't think I'm alone in saying I was very, very young. I think I may have been as young as four Really? Yes, not in a sexual sense, but in getting a tingly feeling about issues around sort of things like that kind of power play. Obviously, I didn't know what it meant, but from a very young age, because I know I was certainly one summer when I was about seven, I sat in my my back garden and made up stories about spanking. And I didn't tell anyone. Even then, I thought, this is not something we talk about. But I had a story that even then it was Slash. It was two naughty twin brothers and their uncle was very kind but very stern and they were always getting into trouble and he had to spank them and I just loved it (laughs) I wasn't involved I hasten to add which is an interesting facet of writing I never really put myself in my stories they're always some other people that's what I'm enjoying I enjoy interpreting what was going on for these other people and getting into their heads it's never me when the spanking is going on is that painful spanking or is it a something else 
I think that's a bit of a dislocation in BDSM and I think a lot of people have it when they fantasized for a long time and then they play for the first time because in your head although it's kind of painful in inverted commas it's fine because you're not actually experiencing any pain <laughs> but I think when you can actually play for the first time if what if part of your fantasy is that you receive pain I think you can be a bit surprised by what actual pain feels like if you're not in the right headset and sometimes I think you know if you if you haven't prepared properly if it not really enjoying it it can feel more like an ordeal but if it's right then it can just turn you on and be wonderful but um i think possibly in fantasy one would go further and have more extreme things happening than you would actually in reality dylan put his hands on her back and caressed down to her waist She took a stifled breath and bit her lower lip lightly, savoring every second of these sensations. He then pulled down her pants and panties in a swift motion. She bit harder as a wave of warmth rushed between her legs. The sensation weakened her to his will. My beautiful Annie, he said, delivering the first swat. Like last time, his hand lingered turning the spank into a caress. Bella closed her eyes, letting a soft moan escape her lips. Did he know what this was doing to her? Did he somehow understand better than she did why it excited her so much? Listen to more of Spanking Her Curves. Get it on iTunes and Audible.com. Enjoy today. So what are the rules of EDSM? There aren't any rules. I know some people in the BDSM community like to lay down rules and that's fine for them and whoever they're playing with if they've all agreed to those. I personally don't really hold with having any rules for it. I think what suits individuals is best and if you're sitting down with a play partner to discuss with them what you want from your session and what your boundaries are for you. One thing that the BDSM community is very hot on is the slogan, if you like, uh, or the motto, safe, sane and consensual. And that is something that people try to really abide by. The other thing is that most cases you would give a sub or a sub would have a safe word. So if you were in the middle of a scene, they could use that word and the scene would stop. The scene would immediately come to an end. There are variations of that where you might have a word that means slow down. But obviously the main thing is that people have a safe word so that they can end a session. And I hasten to add that that is when you're playing a scene, because the whole point of a scene is that you might construct a fantasy of non-consensuality where you've got a master, say, and a slave, and the slave within the context of the scene cannot refuse the master. And so the slave might be acting, oh, no, no, don't do that, please don't do that. But that's part of the scene, and that's something that both participants are really enjoying. So you'd need to have something to distinguish that, no, no, don't do that, from, no, really, don't do that. (laughs) You need to have a word that you just say, that the other person immediately knows, okay, that's stop, because this is not right, this is not feeling right, I don't want to continue. Um, And so that is something that the BDSM community obviously are very strong on having I think we very much want to move away from the idea that there is any form of abuse involved in BDSM both of the partners should be consenting adults and both of them should have sat down and agreed the kind of things that they enjoy doing beforehand that's not to say that a scene can't go wrong but then sex can go wrong irregular sex so I think it's just up to people to be vocal about what they like and what isn't working for them In a BDSM relationship, is it standard to have a conversation with a person beforehand or is it a sort of winging it as you go situation? If it was a play session with a new partner, then I think 
everyone in the BDSM community would say that you'd sat and talked about what you wanted to do beforehand. If you're in a relationship with someone and you, you have a BDSM re- relationship, then you probably discuss those things. So you would just slip automatically into a scene if you wanted to. So if there were, let's say, a hookup situation, is there hookup situations in BDSM or because of what it is, it doesn't happen? No, no, no. It is. There are um, there are hookup situations. So, I mean, there are places you can go. There's BDSM clubs. There's munches. So there is a scene out there where you can meet people. And, and obviously online now, there's FetLife, um, there's Bondage.com. There's various different websites you can go to to meet people if you want. But I think with all of them that they'd say you set down some parameters first. You talk to a person about your likes and dislikes before you start. And how popular is this community? I know right now the number, I'm going to say three of the top six books right now are considered BDSM books, the Fifty Shades series. Yeah. How popular is this right now? I think it's always been popular. I just think that it's gradually coming out into the open a bit more. Things have changed such a lot in the last 20 years. When I first went on the scene, it was a very much underground thing. And you had to seek out special places. And they had names like the Dungeon Club or Whiplash. <laughs> cinematic in los angeles there's a place called cinematic oh right okay yes yeah. it used to be something you had to really seek out and it was a bit of an underground people who really just really really needed to express this and had to find other people who they could express it with but now it's so much easier and people are just being much more open about it because again of the internet the wonders and joys of the internet and what you can find on the internet people are realizing oh there are plenty of people like this out here it's you know if i want to dabble in a bit of this and a bit of that i can find willing partners and it's come on a lot even things like clothing because in the old days i used to go to fetish fairs if i wanted to get any kind of bdsm equipment And it was quite hard. You know, you had to actually go to a certain place. You had to get measured up for a corset. You had to go to a special place to find shoes or sort of bondage boots. Whereas now, bondage shoes, I think, are actually mainstream because I look at those shoes in the shoe shops in the high street and I think, actually, they look like bondage boots to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a man, I look at them and I think they just look like torture devices. That's that's what they look like. The heels, how women wear the heels, I have no idea. But that's just me. No, well, not for me, I have to say. But yeah, that's exactly it. all that stuff has become mainstream. You, you don't blink an eye now to see people wearing leather cuffs and collars, for example, like the whole goth thing. Sure. Whereas uh, 20 years ago, that really it wasn't quite so common. You, and, and I just think it really is. BDSM has become much more mainstream. People talk about it more. The people are reading. They feel more free to admit that they read this kind of thing. And I don't think it has to imply you're particularly into it in your real life. You might just enjoy reading about it. Well, let's take a step back. Let's talk about what influenced you. What was the first gay male story that you read? The first gay male story I read, now I can't be sure on this, <laughs> but I remember very vividly, and I think it may have been the first or one of the first, there was, a, there was a book, it was a novel that I just stumbled across, really, I didn't seek it out, called Now and Then by William Corlett. And it told the story of boys at a boarding school and how one of them was gay and he fell in love with another one. Um, and they had a relationship that was very intense for the gay one. The other one was actually it later on decided he was straight. But in school, they had a very intense relationship. And one of the things I also liked about that story was that the older one had to cane the other one at one point. And he didn't want to, but he was a prefect and had to. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of this reluctant physical punishment and what it did to their relationship and how they felt about it, I found incredibly interesting to me. I was just, I lapped that up. Um, And the love story was really lovely. It was a really lovely story. I really enjoyed it and it sparked something inside me. And that's one I very vividly remember. And I think that may have been the first one that I read. And how old were you? 
Um, that I wasn't very young. I think I was about 19, maybe. And how quickly afterwards did you start writing? I don't think I did start writing quickly after that. <laughs> My writing sort of suddenly tumbled out of me when I found fan fiction. I'd written a little bit before then. I wrote, I wrote a novel called Domination Games which was for me having gone on the scene the bdsm scene in london and some of my experiences there and domination games arose out of that but i didn't do anything with it i just wrote it and i think it was heavily influenced by now and then that story the novel that i'd read and that sort of sparked something inside me and i knew that this was the kind of thing i did want to write is there any way that your fans can get that book now no, <laughs> I really wanted to see the light of day. I, I haven't read it in forever. I don't know what it's like. But although I loved it at the time and I loved doing it and I loved expressing it, I think my writing's come on a great deal since then. And I really wouldn't want anyone to look at that now. <laughs> <laughs> and when was it you wrote your first fanfic story? My first fanfic was, I think it was um, when I was 32. Um, I think that was when it was anyway. And um, it was instant for me, finding fanfic. It was what you said earlier about loving TV. Loving TV and loving erotica, having written some erotica, having written domination games by this point. And I was searching for my business website. We were just setting up a business website back then. And I was just browsing the internet to see what websites looked like. And I loved Star Trek Voyager at that time. So I put in Star Trek Voyager to see what websites there were on it. And the first thing that came up was something called The Secret Voyages of Captain Janeway. And I was like, oh, okay. So I clicked on that and I was in the middle of a big BDSM story about Captain Janeway, who seemed to be topping her entire crew, which frankly wasn't that much different to the TV show. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I thought, whoa, this stuff's out here. And so my other love at the time was The X-Files. And I wasn't quite sure why. I hadn't really placed, I hadn't made that connection at that point, that what I was liking in TV and what I was writing with my BDSM story and my erotica hadn't quite made that connection. And so I put in The X-Files, which was my another great show that I loved at the time, because I knew that I liked Mulder and Skinner from The X-Files. And I wasn't quite sure what I was getting at, but I just knew that I really liked them and I wanted to read stories about them. And initially, all I could find was one site and it seemed to be full of Mulder Scully stories. And I read them and I was a bit like, well, okay, this is, I'm liking this, but it's not really what I'm looking for. And then I suddenly stumbled across a Mulder Skinner slash story and it was like everything slotted into place. And I spent two weeks just reading every single X-Files fanfic I could find, especially the Mulder Skinner ones. But at that point, I pretty much read anything. And then after two weeks, I just sat back and I thought, I have to do this. And I just started writing and writing and writing and nothing could have stopped me then. I think I spent a year, that first year I found fanfic, all I was doing was just pouring out all this stuff that had been building up inside me, finally having a chance to let it out and give it expression and share it with other people and not feeling ashamed of sharing it with other people. It was easy to put out there. And it was a common language because a TV show, everybody around the world had been watching that. You could put something out and it was instantly recognisable. So people would read about these characters because they already knew them. So you had an instant audience in a way. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Although I look back on my early work now and I'm sure as everybody else does, they just think, oh God, it was so, awful. <laughs> so the atmosphere around you when you were doing it, did your friends outside of your household know that you were writing this stuff? Not back then. I did show it to a few close friends. I think I showed Domination Games to a, one close friend and she's a completely vanilla 
friend and she loved it and I was really surprised and I, I must admit bearing in mind how incredibly explicit it was when I look back I think I wonder why I ever gave that to her That's, that was just kind of wild for me to do I'm usually a bit more cautious than that but she was great and I've talked to her about my writing ever since um, others I've mentioned my writing a couple of people have um, a couple of my friends my brother and a friend they actually went on to my website I didn't tell them to in fact I think I probably told them not to but they went on and tried reading it and it it just didn't mean anything to them and they weren't particularly interested and this is something I think is important because I write for my audience and I know people in your real life might think "Ooh, it'll be interesting to see what Xanthi's stories are like <laughs> but I think I'm very right very specifically for that audience I'm writing for the people who are looking for that kind of material and they're the ones that understand they're my people they're the person that Xanthi writes for I can share that part of myself that I think so many other people enjoy and enjoy reading. And I don't think the people in my real life, they're not the people who are seeking that out. That, that isn't their thing. It's like, if you like football, you're not going to sit down and watch cricket all afternoon. It's that, it's that difference. So what does it mean to you when you know that someone who enjoys your work finds it? It's wonderful. I think it's writing fanfic and sharing fanfic totally changed my life. I've made so many fantastic friends on the internet, um, people who are in my real life. I've just come back from holiday with a, a friend who I met when I put a note on my website back in about 1998 or 99 saying, is there anyone in London who wants to meet up? And looking back now, that seems kind of a rash thing to do. But, <laughs> but um, someone answered me, I met up with her and we hit it off so well that we stayed in touch and have become good friends. And, you know, occasionally we go on holiday together. I've had other friends like that. I've got some wonderful friends in my real life that I met online. Also, it's just meeting people who from all around the world, hearing from people in so many different places who enjoy the same things I enjoy. They enjoy the same show. They enjoy my stories. And so we've got a common sense of who we are and what we enjoy and we've got so many things to talk about and it's it's been wonderful I think knowing so many different people I've traveled all around the world I've met up with friends in Canberra in New York in Washington State and in Washington itself I, uh, Washington DC I've just been to so many different places and met up with people that I've uh, met through fanfic who've read my fanfic who we've got into conversations with and I think that's amazing you must be able to remember your favorite review. Um, actually, no, I have to say I'm not very good with this. I've had some fantastic reviews and I love getting really lovely reviews. But I think what I more remember is I wrote a story called Damage, which dealt with the subject of child sex abuse. Mm -hmm. And it was a really harrowing story and actually was really hard to write. It was one of those stories that you really kind of chug through thinking, oh, it's really difficult. And at times got me down. I felt it was quite intense. And I posted it and I was very worried about the response. It's such a sensitive subject. And this, you know, really was a really sensitive subject to deal with. And I had several emails after that, private emails from people who were just so lovely um, telling me about some of their own experiences. And I felt so humbled and touched by those reviews. And they, a lot of them, the common theme seemed to be that they felt that I'd given them a voice for what they'd gone through and how they felt, but more than often, or more than that, how they dealt with the aftermath of it. And those reviews really touched me and stayed with me. In addition to that, though, sometimes I, when I'm posting a long story on my live journal on my website, it might be a, a novel length story. So I'll split it up and post it over a series of days, one day after the other. 
And I find then I get some wonderful reviews because people start talking amongst themselves as well, discussing aspects of the story. And uh, I really have had some fantastic times posting on a daily basis and just everyone getting very involved in the world of the story. And that's what I've loved, sharing the world with the story so that other people can talk about it and enter into that world and share it with me. I love that most. And of course, as a fan fiction writer, you're not paid for your works. So the responses of the readers are your compensation. They are my payment. And I have to admit, there are times when I feel, um, I think every fanfic author thinks, I want more, pay me more, pay me more <laughs> feedback. <laughs> I, there's always that. But I, I can't complain about the level of feedback I get. People are very kind and they've left some amazing reviews over the years. But yes, it is the only payment I get. And I have to admit, sometimes I do have to mention that and say, your payment is all I receive for writing. Please leave me you know, some feedback. Please leave me a review. I mean, mainly you want it to be a positive review, I have to say. I mean, I had some stinkers in my time, but... Most of the time, they are very positive, and they are really nice to get. And yes, they are my payment. <laughs> <laughs> and how many payments have you received? How many readers have you had over the years, do you know? It's very hard to tell. I have hit counters on all my stories, but I've had about three different site revamps over the years, and each time I've lost the hit counts. Don't ask me why, but at various times. And so I'm unable to give a complete number from beginning to end, but... It's been 14 years, and some of my stories have had hundreds of thousands of hits in that time. Now, how many of those are repeat visitors? I've no idea. But I'm always amazed because I did a big revamp of my site last year around about October time, and I put it all up, and it was all, all the counters starting from zero again, like they always end up doing. And I was amazed how quickly the numbers start ratcheting up once that went up again. I couldn't believe it. Even old stories that I thought nobody would be interested in reading, you know, gradually the numbers go up on them. So clearly people do find my site. I don't know where they find my site, but they find my site and they read it in addition to my regular readers. who I think, you know, hang out on my site and know who I am and talk to me regularly. And just so the listeners here who aren't familiar with your work have some idea. Uh, last night I was doing some research for this interview, of course. And I looked at those counters, and I think it was perhaps September 10th was one. You had 36,000 hits since September 2011. Yes. 26,000, 20,000. They're all really up there, and it's been well, a little over six months since then. Yeah. That was it. That was when I did the site revamp, and that's when everything went back to naught. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I know that's what I mean. It astounds me. But, yes, 26,000. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but... And then when you think that's just in September and the stories that have been up there for 14 years, they've, like I said, hundreds of thousands of hits. Um, like I said, you don't know how much is repeat visitors, people just coming back and saying, oh, I really like this story and hitting it over and over again over the period of several years. But since September, obviously, I don't know how many people would have reread since then. I, and I love that they're really popular and they get lots of hits. It's wonderful. When you see the success of E.L. James, what are your thoughts? When I first heard about Fifty Shades of Grey, I, my first thought was good for her because she put a lot into her fan fiction writing. As far as I could tell, it was an AU. So she created a lot of the scenario herself. I didn't see there was a problem personally with her filing off the serial numbers, as they call it, with the story, changing the names and releasing it as an original character fiction, so long as she put some work in to making it original character fiction. Well, that was before I read it. Um, I think I have some concerns over the depiction of the BDSM. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some concerns because I've read a lot of really good fan fiction and honestly, this wasn't. And I was a bit disappointed because I thought there's so much good fan fiction out here and yet fan fiction gets a bad name. And I'd have liked it if a really crackingly good fan fiction had made it to the mainstream and been successful. 
I don't want to put the author down because she's written a very successful story and I'm sure it's not she's going to cry at all over me saying that I didn't particularly like it because she's making so much money off it. Right. Um, but for me, I wasn't keen on that story. And because it came from fan fiction, does it inspire you in any way to perhaps do something similar? Well, I mean, there's two things. One, you could say, does it inspire me to write my own original character novels? But I'd already had thoughts of doing that, and I'd written them before. Uh, as, as I already mentioned, Domination Games, but I've written several others that I never never saw the light of day, but I did write before I found fanfic. Um, I've certainly got loads of ideas for original character novels, which I had thought that I might turn my hand to, but that was nothing that came out of her publishing her story. The other thing is, would I consider filing the serial numbers off my own stories and releasing them as original character fit? I don't know about that. They're already available for free on my site. I wouldn't like to feel I was betraying my fans at all by saying, oh no, you've got to pay for this now. At the same time, some of them are so incredibly divorced from their subject or their original source material that they probably could be turned into original character fiction. I don't know whether, honestly, I'd have, I'd have the interest in putting all the time and effort required into doing that. For me, the joy is in writing the story, in developing it and creating it. So I'm not sure I'd have the patience to go back and go through that process. Having said that, I'll never say never. I, I think we're in a very interesting time with the rise of e-publishing. And it may well be that that is what lots of fan fiction writers do. If they put all the effort into writing a novel-length story that they want to, to publish that doesn't bear any relation after a bit of work to the original source material, then I don't really have a problem with that. But I do think it would be interesting to see, in the case of Fifty Shades of Grey, whether Stephanie Mayer, who wrote Twilight, is going to take any kind of legal action. Oh, maybe she isn't. But it is widely acknowledged that it was available as a fanfic story first. And obviously she has got some of her readers, quite a considerable number, I would imagine. She brought with her from Twilight, who read her story because it was Twilight fan fiction and then bought it because it was based on a Twilight fan fiction. I don't know about the legalities of that. And I think maybe nobody else does either. And we might see in the coming months that being resolved if it turns out that authors of original source material don't sue or take any legal action then we might see a lot more fan fiction authors bringing out their works as original character novels well i would have a hard time thinking that even if the author of twilight did try to sue uh she wouldn't have very much success because it's a long tradition of writers to look at someone else's work and go i need to do something like that in which case the relationships between the characters are the same, uh, the situations they're in are kind of the same, and they change the names and the dialogue changes. I absolutely agree with you. I think that if you've written something that you can you can change the names of the characters and, yeah, inspiration, it's something that's been inspired by. But then there's loads of examples of that out there in the mainstream world. I think it would be quite a hard thing for authors of original source material to bring such cases. But I think the question at the moment is whether it's going to happen. Because if there is a big case, then it may be resolved with one way or the other. Or if it becomes the dumb thing where we see loads of fan fiction authors doing it and nobody minds and there's no legal action taken, then I think we will see it becoming quite common and lots of others will follow suit. I don't know. It still, to me, requires quite a lot of work fiddling around with the story. And I tend to have that initial creative rush when I bring a story out. And then I want to go on and do a new story. I don't really want to spend a lot of time going back and changing my old story so that it's original characters. But like I said, I'd never say never. I think for me, it's just quite interesting watching it because I've got I mean a lot of fan fiction is quite short but I've got several novel length stories that I could consider 
plausibly changing the names and bringing out as original character fic. I'd like to see what happens first, that I like see how things go before I do anything like that. And also, I'd just like to go and write more original stories. I don't think I want to look backwards all the time. Do you consider writing fan fiction a hobby or is it a passion? How do you define it in your own head? It's definitely a passion. It's more than a hobby. I think a hobby is like gardening, <laughs> which I kind of <laughs> like, but I don't want to spend my life doing. I don't feel passionate about. But for me, writing, regardless, is a passion. And I have periods of time when I don't have the time or I don't have the creative energy or my brain just needs a rest because I'm quite prolific. And when I'm not writing, sometimes I can really enjoy it. And I feel like this is nice. I'm not writing. I've got loads of time. I'm seeing my friends. I'm going out a lot. This is great. And then after a while, I start to get this little nagging voice at the back of my head going, but you're not writing and you haven't, you haven't got that in your life right now and I'm missing it. And then I start getting antsy and then I start thinking, oh, why am I not writing? Oh, it's awful that I'm not writing. And usually soon after that, after I've just driven my friends nuts with complaining about it and whining, soon after that, usually something pops up that I have an urge to write and then I'll sit down and go at it again. And it is a passion and I do love it. And there is nothing else in the world like it. How do you think your writing has changed over the years? I think technically it's just got better. I think the scope of my imagination has broadened. I think I have better judgment. I think more than anything else, I've noticed that I started to be much more interested in telling quite plotty stories. I always did, but I've noticed that over the last few years, those have got more complicated. The plots have become more intertwined. I've found that more interesting, intellectually more satisfying. Also, technically speaking, I think I've just learned a lot more about breaking up paragraphs and commas and <laughs> silly things like just the silly things that really are the basics that I think I was quite slapdash and haphazard about in the beginning but I think I'm much more precise I also edit far far more when I started I pretty much wrote a story gave it a read through changed a few bits and put it out there in the early days I can't imagine doing that now I always um, edit and edit and edit I'll do a first draft but even if I do a first draft even when I'm writing after I've done a writing session say maybe 5,000 words then I'll sit down and edit it quite strongly and then when I finish the entire story I will edit again then I will print it out and do a hard copy edit and then I'll make those changes and then I'll edit it again and I just really try and just get the language much smoother and to understand that I mean what I say and I say what I mean because in the early days I didn't do that I put things in that sounded right. But when you actually thought about it, you thought, really, that's not really the right word choice. But I didn't have that process in the beginning. I just used to just write and throw it out there. Whereas now I really do spend quite a lot of time and effort and energy really looking at each single word. And what's your process in determining first which show you're going to write on? And then how are you going to break up the characters in terms of dominant submissive and all the BDSM rules? Well, not all my stories are BDSM. Um, most of them are Slash. But having said that, not all my stories are Slash. Before you continue, what's Slash? <laughs> slash is what I write, which is male-male erotica. In the fandom world, that's called Slash. When it's two men, it's called Slash. This goes back to Star Trek. Um, in the early days, that was the big first main Slash pairing. And um, it was Kirk and Spock. And they used to separate the names Kirk and Spock with a Slash in the middle. And so it became known as Slash. 
It's a very strange little story. Um, so submission and domination. A lot of what I write isn't BDSM. I do write a, a significant proportion of that. I am well known for it, but I also write a lot of slash that isn't BDSM. It's just male, male erotica. But in terms of when I am writing BDSM, I usually know who the dom and who the sub is. And that doesn't mean that you can't change it around. But usually from what you've seen on the screen, you have quite a fixed idea of who you think the dom and sub is. It may not be who anyone else thinks the dom and sub is, but usually you find you're in tune with quite a lot of fans so that's not really a problem for me i usually get a very strong idea of who i'm going to be writing as the dom and who's going to be the sub and how do you determine how much of a sub the sub is (laughs) well sometimes it's really clear (laughs) (laughs) some people on shows some of the men on the shows you just get a very clear vibe but like for example i write ncis and gibbs strikes me as being a very dominant character he's not only dominant at work he's also dominant in his private life there's never a time when he's not trying to be dominant with somebody and he has a lot of kissing contests with various people and a lot of hard stares um, whereas tony on the other hand the other part of that pairing that i like in that fandom he's not submissive with anyone else but he is submissive around gibbs and he clearly enjoys being a playful, naughty, mischievous, but very loyal, submissive to Gibbs' is dominant. And one of the first things I loved about NCS was the fact that Gibbs used to, well, Gibbs still does, come in and whack Tony on the back of the head when he's being silly. And I used to think that's probably the closest you're going to get to corporal punishment in a mainstream TV show. <laughs> so that's why I loved it. Um, and Tony seemed to enjoy it. Tony went out of his way to elicit those head slaps, which he saw as a sign of affection. If somebody's interpreting being slapped as a sign of affection, then there's a good chance they might secretly be a Hmm. And how free do you feel to deviate from the world of the TV show? Sorry, what do you mean, Alex? Well, you're clearly not writing stories with exact scripts. you're, You're taking a jumping off point and then expanding the story sexually. Yes. So how much freedom do you feel to say, well, even though he's never said this on the show, he would say this or do this or go to this place? Yeah, that's a good point. I think with all fan fictionals, you keep them in character insofar as you see their character. Now, sometimes you'll read a story and you'll think, honestly, I do not feel that this is remotely in character. It's not the characters I see on TV, but it's clearly the way the person writing it sees them. And I've come to know over the years that people can see characters in very different ways. What I like to do is to capture the essence of a character. And I think that's one of my strengths in writing fanfic. A lot of people do say, I feel like you really captured who Rodney was or who Tony was. There's something about them at their very soul is what I'm trying to capture, something that speaks to me. Something that I'm interested in when I watch them on screen is the thing I try to capture in my stories. But Within that, you do try to keep within canon. So anything factual that you learn about the characters on the show, you try to keep to that in your stories. But then having said that, there are things that I think one would cheerfully ignore. If you had Gibbs say, I'm not at all kinky and I would never have sex with a man. I think we'd all just ignore that and say, oh, he's just protesting too much. I bet he loves it. So, um, but if it's factual about where they went to school and how old they were when this happened, all that kind of thing, then yes, you're expected to keep that right. Unless you write a complete AU, which is from what I can gather what the the Fifty Shades of Grey books are. They are, although they're recognisable as the characters, you're sending them off to Regency Britain or you're having them on a space station or you're, you're doing something completely different with them. In which case, I think you can play fast and loose with canon somewhat. And for the listeners, AU is... Oh, sorry. Alternative universe. So, um, for example, you take Gibbs and Tony from NCIS and you decide that they were in the Civil War and that's how they met many years ago. And they had a love story back then. And they're, they're nothing to do with the Naval Criminal Investigative Service at all. So you make it a historical romance, but they're still Gibbs and Tony. They're still called Gibbs and Tony, but you put them in an alternative universe. 
Have you done that much? Um, actually, no, I haven't. Some people write that a lot. The main alternative universe I've created is what we call the BDSM universe. And I created a whole universe where it was pretty much the same as our universe, but everybody identified as a dominant or a submissive and everybody was bisexual. So the important thing was whether you were a dom or a sub. It wasn't whether you were male or female or whether you were attracted to men or women. You just took it for granted that everyone was bisexual. That gave me enormous freedom because I didn't have to have anyone having a hang up about their sexuality. I didn't have to worry about who they were attracted to. And they didn't have to worry about the fact they were into BDSM sex because everybody was. And this was great because it meant that could then be the backdrop to the stories instead of the point of the story. So you could explore all sorts of lovely other things. And I have to say my BDSM universe has become really popular and well known. I also have some detractors which is fair enough but uh, it's my vision of it and anyone else can go and write their own version of a BDSM universe but this was mine I've written about four long novels set in the BDSM universe in various different fandoms. There's been some controversy about that wasn't there? Yes. When I first published the first BDSM universe story, it was in a fandom where there hadn't been much BDSM. The trouble was I'd come from an old fandom, The X-Files, where there was a lot of BDSM, partly because of the nature of the show, because Mulder was forever being getting into trouble on the show and being tortured. And I think that attracted people who enjoyed a bit of BDSM. (laughs) And then when I went into Stargate Atlantis, I didn't realise that what I brought with me from X-Files wasn't as common in Stargate Atlantis. And I published my story that had two husbands from a a BDSM universe being sucked into our universe and the culture clash that arose from their expectations and our expectations and prejudices. And I think some people found it a bit shocking. Some people just hated it. Some people didn't like the style of it. And all of which is fair enough. But I was a bit astonished at the time by some of the reaction. Some people absolutely loved it. And I have to say their stories did go on to become classics in their particular fandom. And one of them coming home won a a big award in the fandom. So I think their popularity possibly outstripped their notoriety I hope so (laughs) I hope so but there were people that didn't like that and there is still some prejudice about BDSM and spanking even if it's consensual some people don't like it and that's fair enough I think if you don't like it don't read it there's all sorts of things I don't like which I don't read but at the time it did cause a bit of a stir yes and the stories I know you write mostly slash do you ever write uh, male female yes I've written some heterosexual erotica I haven't written much for a long time. I've got nothing against it. It's just, I think I'm so well known for Slash um, and I'm so well known for BDSM Slash as well that people expect that on my site. I certainly know that I don't really get much feedback for writing Het Erotica, although that wouldn't necessarily stop me if I had a good idea. I just think my mind automatically goes to the slashy place first. Mm. Uh, But I've written Het Erotica and I've I've got some ideas in my head for original character BDSM Het Erotica, which I hopefully write one day. I don't have a problem with it at all. It's just I tend to to be drawn more to Slash. Get on your knees, he ordered. Jasmine didn't budge. She wanted punishment. When his steely eyes tightened, she knew she was going to get it. Jassar tossed her to her knees and walked away to grab a candle. Letting it burn for a while, he dropped the hot wax on her still tender ass. It delighted her. It burned for merely a second, but soon came the rush of pleasure. Jassar was a master after all. He would bring her to the point of almost unbearable pain, but then at the last moment pull her back, bringing her pleasure. To listen to more of international best-selling story, Bread for the Billionaire's Heir, get it on iTunes and on Audible.com. 
Enjoy it today. What's the difference between writing male-female and male-male? I think as a woman writing about women having sex, one is tends to be more constrained by one's own experiences with sex. Whereas when you're writing two men having sex, I think writers tend to feel more free to do all sorts of insane and crazy things and just let their imaginations soar a little bit more. I certainly think that's true of myself and I've very much noticed it in other people's writing. I find that when I'm in a fandom, if I read some of the het stories, they can be more mundane, if you like. They don't sort of deal with the way out subjects that some of the slash does. And I think that's simply because people are grounded in their own experience. And that, that always seems to come to bear when they're writing about an experience they might likely have had. Whereas when you're actually, it's something you've never, you know, you can never be. I can never be a gay man having sex with another man. <laughs> I can't be that person. I can imagine it and I can dream up all sorts of scenarios for it. And in some ways that gives you a freedom. And I think that's possibly a difference that I've noticed. And how do you decide what these gay men are doing and feeling? That's always intrigued me as a guy. And the fact that the majority of gay male writing I think is done by women at this point. How do they know? Yeah, I think it's a very good point. <laughs> How do they know? I tend to wonder whether perhaps the men that we produce in our stories aren't more of a hybrid between men and women. They certainly seem to have quite in-depth love stories and, and emotional connections. But then again, I certainly don't think it would be fair to say that men don't have romantic and feelings of great love and, and love big love stories either. So that's I'm just remembering now. When I first started writing, a gay man wrote to me and said, I really like some of your stories, but why do you have the men behave in this particular way and sort of being a bit gruff and non-communicative? And I said, well, I thought that's what you know, men tended to be more like that. You don't want them to be really happy and to be acting like 13-year-old girls. And he said, yeah, but also we do have conversations and we do, we're not all like that. And I think that's a stereotype. And I thought, actually, you're completely right. One of the problems in fanfic when you're a woman writing it is that you feel that you're going to be judged that your characters are too girly. So sometimes you go too much the other way and you have them rather gruff and brisk and macho and manly. And I think finding that middle ground, I think his feedback was really useful to me at that point in my fanfic career. And since then, I've gone for the big emotional scenes and I've tried to keep them as much in character as I can. And at the end of the day, you just have to use your imagination and, and hope that it sounds like, like as if it's plausible. What do you prefer more, gay male fiction written by women or by men? Oh, Alex, <laughs> that sounds like something that controversy. <laughs> um, I'll be honest, um, I prefer it written by women because I think women are writing for women. I know I'm writing for women and I love it if gay men or men generally like my stuff, but I know I'm writing for women. And I, I think possibly that men might identify more with male writers. I might be wrong there, but I like the way that, that women write by and large. I've got nothing against the way men write. Um, I just think that with fan fiction is written so much by women. In fact, I hardly know any men. There was a few back in the day, but I hardly know any men now writing fanfic. And so I'm just so used to reading fanfic by women. I don't think I'd have a problem reading erotica of any kind written by men. It's just that I don't tend to get exposed to it very often now. What's the difference? I tend to feel, and I'm probably generalising, and bear in mind I haven't really read any for a very long time. I tend to feel that the male writer's are slightly more obsessed with the mechanics of the action when they're writing sex, of description, 
Um, I know that quite a lot of gay male eroticos talks quite a lot about the length and size of penises and whether they're cut or uncut. And there is a sort of a particular style of writing that. But then I think that could just be because that's been a cliche of the past. And I don't think that's necessarily the case now. But um, women writers, it's the old cliche that I suppose they tend to dwell more on the romance and the love story and less on the mechanics of the sex. But I think both of those are huge generalizations. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. It's not necessarily the case, but I can tell you for sure that one thing I always am very clear to hit on is size of penis, what does it look like, um, <laughs> the mechanics of it, how are they in the positions, because as a man, that you think visually, so I'm trying to paint the picture of exactly what's going on during the sex. Well, that makes total sense, yeah. It's very interesting. I, I never thought about that before. I didn't like to say it too much in case it was viewed as a bit of a generalization, but I do notice it. But I think, like I said, it's because I'm exposed to so much erotica written by women but involve men. And often things like how a penis looks or <laughs> whether it's cut or uncut and how long it is when it's erect and all those sorts of things, they don't tend to get mentioned very often. And yet I notice that they do get mentioned more often when it's written by a man. And like you said, it's a visual thing. I think that is probably one of those things that happens. And also, I know specifically with me, I don't know how many other men do this, but it's also a lot about what's going on, mentally speaking, as you're physically having sex and physically having an orgasm. The various changes that goes on mm -hmm. in attitude or in the motions or anything along those lines. It's about the exact experience of having the sex, which of course involves length of penis and how they touch each other and all that rest of that stuff. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. So what are you working on now? Well, I'd love to say that I was working on some big new novel, but honestly, I'm not really working on anything very much at the moment. I have to admit, I came out of writing NCIS, which I've been writing since 2008, and I've just been incredibly prolific. And I'd written loads and loads of stories, and I think my brain just needed a bit of a rest. I'd lost interest a bit in the NCIS show as a fandom. I took a bit of stock and thought, what do I want to do next? And I dabbled a bit in the Suits fandom. The Suits was a legal show that came up over last summer, and I really enjoyed it, but Part of me was thinking, in a way, I'd like to try something new. And I'd like to try original character fic. It's not as if I've never written any, but I haven't written any for a very long time because I've been writing fanfic, which I've loved. And I've got loads of ideas that have built up. I think my problem is at the moment, one is that I needed a rest and to get my head around the fact that I was just going to take a little bit of a break from writing fanfic. And the other thing was that I needed to decide which of these stories to write. And I've got about four and I'm finding it really hard to decide. So what I've been doing is I've written a bit of two of them. I've written, I've started them and I'm just trying to see whether one of them calls to me more than the other. And I'm still in that process. I think that once I decide, then I'll go full steam ahead with it. But at the moment, I'm torn between, I've got gay vampires, I've got a romantic comedy set my BGSM universe i've got a bgsm novel that's about an undercover cop i've got so many in my head i just need to decide which one is the one that i really feel inspired by i want to run with i'm sure that your readers are just drooling hearing all the possible stories that you have coming out and they can't wait for it to happen i hope so but i'm so interested to find out whether my readers do follow me from fan fiction if i did write an original character novel i am not saying i'm never going to write fan fiction again because i think that's very unlikely but if i did write an original character novel would people buy it would they be interested i hope they would. I think I can say without a shadow of a doubt, yes, they will. Good. <laughs> well, that would be great. And now I just want to write it because I want to share it. I've got so many ideas and I'm excited. 
seized by them. And I want to say to people, oh, I've got this idea for this thing and I want you to read it and I want to write it so I can share it with people and have them enjoy it and say, oh, yes, that's really cool. It's lovely. Um, And just have that experience of interacting with my readers. I mean, I hope that if I did release something as original character fiction and people bought it, that they would still occasionally give me a bit of feedback too and share the world of the story. Because that's one of the things I love so much about writing is sharing the world of the story. And it's nice talking about it to people who also enjoyed the world of the story. I feel pretty safe in saying that if you were to put something out there, those people who put comments on your website will then go and put reviews on Amazon and all those other places because the fan wants other people to enjoy what they love just as much as the author wants the fans to enjoy what they write. Yeah, I think that's the case. I have my more worrying moments, especially as the fact that I've written anything for a few months. And obviously, by the time I did produce anything, it'll be a few months further down the line. I feel like everyone will have forgotten me. <laughs> I know that's not the case, but you know what it's like when you're between things and you're like, oh, no. I have no ideas. Nobody's going to read it. La, la, la. Even when I've written big stories in fanfic, I, I get what I call the wibbles before I post them. I think, oh, everyone's going to hate this. And nobody's going to like it. And nobody's going to leave me feedback. <laughs> That's just the part of the whole process, I think. The trouble with writing is you really put yourself out there. And as you know, when you write erotic stories, you're putting out there a side of yourself that most people would not expose and sides of your fantasies. My readers over the years, they know all this stuff about me. They know what my obsessions are. They know how much I love reading and writing spanking stories, <laughs> for example. And uh, and you do expose yourself. You put yourself on the line a bit when you put yourself out there with these things. It's not even like just producing a regular book when you're writing something with an erotic content. So you do worry. <laughs> well, I do. Well, I am a big fan of audiobooks. In fact, after we finish this, I'm going to be reading one for the rest of the day. There is something in fanfiction called Podfic. Yes. What is it? Well, Podfic, as far as I can work out, is just an audiobook. I'm not quite sure why it's called a Podfic. I think because it sort of originated, well, when, when podcasts first arrived, and so they thought they'd call it Podfic. But it just does seem to be an audio version of your story. And I've been really lucky because I've had some fantastic readers of mine. I have to admit, I don't think I could sit down and record my stories, the long ones. I could do the short ones, but it's all quite fiddly. <laughs> and I'm quite impatient. And... I'm so grateful that there are people out there who are happy to do that. We've got a few people now who've done some really long stories. Somebody just finished one of mine called Hiding in Plain Sight, which is about 200,000 words long. And I think, wow, that is amazing that she sat there and she's produced this audio book that's that long. In fact, she told a funny story about how she's in Australia and she... Um, she's been reading it out and I think somewhere maybe out on her front porch because she said that the neighbours they seem to know when her recording sessions are because they always seem to be sitting out on their front porch when she goes to do her recording and she thinks she just they just want to know what the next instalment's like <laughs> I just love the idea of reading out this times quite explicit novel and recording it and her next door neighbor sort of sitting on their porch just trying to eavesdrop and listening in and what she's saying <laughs> but so that's what podfics are they are just um, recorded audio versions of your stories and it does seem to be a really big thing and obviously there are some people that prefer to hear stories than to read them or they may not be able to read very easily um, so it's a bit of an accessibility thing so the more of my stories I can make available in that format the better as far as I'm concerned. I actually agree. I said that I loved TV growing up. I mean, I didn't read very much. And the reason why I didn't read very much was because I was slightly dyslexic. So reading wasn't enjoyable for me. No. But, man, do I enjoy a great story. So audiobooks are just the way to go for me. That is really interesting. And I think that must be the case for lots of people, that they really enjoy it in that format. And I think that's great. I think it's lovely that there are so many people out there who are happy to actually record all these stories so that they are accessible to other people. I think it's brilliant. 
And you have agreed to read a little something for us today, correct? I have, yes. I've got an extract from a story of mine called Hands. I chose Hands because it's a shorter story. I looked at some of my long ones. In fact, I did a a little survey on my live journal asking people which extract they thought I should read for you. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) they were all saying things from some of my big epics. And when I came to look at those extracts, I thought, although the extracts were fine, without the context of this enormous, you know, 150,000 word story before it, it kind of just dropped some of the atmosphere a bit. So I actually looked at one of my shorter stories, which was a Christmas story a few years ago called Hands. There are slight domination submission themes, although it's not very overt, but it's in which um, Tony has a fascination with Gibbs's hands and how they might feel on his body. And after a, a difficult day at work, when they get shot at and Tony falls into a cold river, he ends up going to Gibbs's house and goes down to his basement and finally admits that when he's watching Gibbs working on his boat, that he sees Gibbs working there with his hands on this boat, and he says he'd like Gibbs' hands on him and not on the boat. And Gibbs comes over and takes him at his words and takes him off to have his wicked way with him and put his hands all over his body. <laughs> and that's the excerpt I've chosen to read. I'm picking it up when they're, they're in the den on the rug in front of the fire, and Gibbs is putting his hands all over Tony's body. Well, before you begin, I would like to thank you so much for joining me today. The conversation was just fascinating. It was wonderful. Lovely talking to you. And thank you very much for the interview, Alex. And where can people go to read your stories? My website is www.zamphi.org. That's X-A-N-T-H-E.org. Um, and I have a live journal as well, which is also just Zamphi. So if anyone wants to read, that's where they are. Ladies and gentlemen, Zamphi. Extract from Hands by Zamphi. A finger was placed over his lips. Shh, let me work now, Gibbs said. This is all mine to work on, and I have plans for it. His hands gestured at Tony's body as if he was his gun or his boat, and Tony's cock jerked appreciatively in response. He liked the idea of being worked on by those flat, deadly, creative hands. He lay back as Gibbs set to work. Now he was the focus of that intense, blue-eyed gaze as Gibbs loomed over him, hands roving expertly over his naked skin. Gibbs's hands were warm, and slowly Tony felt that chill in the centre of his body start to thaw as those skilful hands worked on him. Fingertips ghosted over the soft flesh at the side of his neck, and a flat palm pressed against his belly. Nails tickled at his nipples, making him scream hoarsely, and a firm hand wrapped itself around his wrist, pinning him down. Knuckles brushed against his inner thigh, forcing a babble of incoherent words to escape from his mouth, and then a slick, insistent finger slid between his buttocks. Tony didn't remember Gibbs getting any lube, but that finger slid in easily and was soon joined by another, just as slippery, so he must have, or maybe he was using hand lotion or something else. Tony really didn't care. Now those fingers moved inside his body, fucking him slowly. Breathe, Gibbs said, and Tony wasn't even aware he'd been holding his breath. He took a deep gasp of air and a second later felt lips pressing against his. He opened up, naked and exposed, offering his mouth to Gibbs to explore and his body to Gibbs to work on any way he wanted. Gibbs kissed him hard, tongue sliding into his mouth in time to the fingers fucking Tony's ass. 
Tony's cock spasmed with pleasure. Not yet, Gibbs ordered, drawing back, removing his fingers. Please, Tony begged. Not yet, Gibbs said implacably, and there was no shadow of doubt in his eyes that Tony would obey him. He pulled a cushion from the couch and placed it under Tony's head, and then leaned over him and kissed him again. His body covered Tony's, his denim jeans cool and rough against Tony's legs, his sweatshirt soft and warm against Tony's chest. I'm not done with you yet, Gibbs said, looking down on him. Now those creative, talented hands were everywhere at once, pinching Tony's nipples, smoothing his hair, caressing his belly, and sliding skillfully over his naked flesh, bending it to Gibbs's will, making it his. Gibbs was the maestro Tony had always known he would be, as much an expert working on Tony as he was polishing his gun or sanding his boat. Those fingers that could squeeze a trigger with such deadly accuracy could also coax every single nerve ending in his body to exquisite heights of pleasure. Tony surrendered to Gibbs's hands as they worked implacably on his skin. He was just sensation now, his flesh the instrument Gibbs chose to work with, to make music on, to play with. Beautiful hands caressed him, teased him, pinched and soothed him in equal measure, drawing him out of himself and losing him in himself at one and the same time. He was crying now, sobbing incoherently with need as Gibbs positioned himself between his legs, spread him wide, and then slid, slow inch by slow inch, into him. Once again, thank you, Xanthi, for joining me today. For all of Xanthi's fan fiction stories, go to xanthi.org. And remember, everything there is free, so enjoy. Finally, would you like to know what type of erotica reader you are? As a special treat for our listeners, we at Sounds Erotic have created a free erotica personality quiz that will help you figure out what type of erotica reader you are. Go to soundseroticpodcast.com, take the quiz, and get books based on your exact erotica personality type. It's fun and kind of hot. Thank you again for joining me, Alex Anders, and please join me next time on Sounds Erotic.